All right, so we're live. How you doing, Joseph? I'm doing good. How you doing? I'm doing real good. You know, I messed up my wrist the other day, so I haven't been able to be fighting or anything. So, like, I've still been lifting, but I haven't been in the MMA gym. So I've been pretty, pretty upset about that, honestly. How'd you mess your wrist up? Um, I think it was from doing skull crushers, because like you're supposed to keep your wrist rigid, and I was like bending it back and forth. Mm. But yeah, it's a bummer. How are you mm. been? Uh, fought a massive toothache for most of the day today, but oh yeah, I took enough ibuprofen and poured <laughs> numbing agent in my mouth for the podcast. So yeah, very good, very good. So uh, we're gonna be getting into Titus chapter two. Well, first, do you want to pray? Start us off. Yeah, we yeah we can start away. Sounds good. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us here this evening, Lord. That uh, you have the audio working for us uh, this week, Father. What working last week, Father? What in your plans? Um, whatever your reasoning for that was, Lord, but we're, we're grateful to be here today, Lord, and I ask that you that you speak through us, that you work through us, Lord, that you open the hearts and the minds of any listeners, Lord, that we may be a blessing upon them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So like I said, we're going to be in Titus chapter 2, so for the people listening that want to follow along, we encourage that you read that chapter in your Bibles and to check the things that we say, not just to follow along, but to check the things that we say, make sure we're telling the truth, make sure we're saying the right thing. And that's exactly what the chapter is about. It's about um, teaching the Bible and making sure that you're teaching the right thing and who you need to be teaching to. And so that's what we're going to be talking about here today. So you want to start us off with what you have? Yeah. An interesting thing about Titus is it actually breaks down um, how to teach a man, how to teach a woman, how to teach a younger person. And it, it it breaks down into um, basically. Okay, so my wife's a teacher, and one thing that I do know from watching her go through school and seeing her in the classroom is that every child learns differently. Some are audio, some are visual, some are hands-on, and it works. And Titus two shows us it works the same way with adults when it comes to teaching God's word, that an older man learns differently than a younger man and a woman learns differently than a man does. So Titus two, for anybody that wants to teach the Bible or preach the Bible, this is, this is your starting point. This is, this is, um, what's what I'm looking for. This is a textbook for every Christian preacher right here. So we start with uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 1. We begin with the teaching of... Uh, well, we, we begin there with the, with the uh, command to teach. So what it says is, but speak thou to things which become sound doctrine. And that is our... I just completely lost my notes. What did I do? <laughs> Yeah, so that verse one is the that people we should be teaching each other and we should be learning from from our fellow Christians. But I thought it was interesting that it taught it goes into the aged man first and it tells the aged man how to live before he starts teaching. And it does this with with everybody. So it goes with the aged man, with the woman and with the young man that 
the aged man be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and patience. So it teaches him how to be before he can start teaching. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and it comes down to that if you are not of the proper mind and the proper spirit, then you can't teach properly. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and John, we learned that uh, a teacher of the word of God is judged extra harshly than a listener of the word of God. So if you're going to teach, you need to be sober. You can't be getting high. You can't be getting drunk. You know, it's, you can't do anything that alters your mind. You you have to be focused on the Lord your God. I don't know if you seen earlier today on Twitter, kind of troll to troll. <laughs> and uh, well, I, I was in the flesh, and I didn't start my day right, and I wasn't living like I should have been living. And I had to go back and apologize to everybody for it. But uh, it, it's a good example. My my heart and mind was not on God during any of that, and actually was on the path to being quite mean. Right. And and I had to stop myself. Well, and that that word sober, I think you're right. It applies to drugs, alcohol, all that stuff. But I think more than that, it means like living sensibly. And like you kind of touched on it there when you said that you weren't in the Word of God, but that that applies to soberly living as well, where not just your mind, not just like staying out of an altered state through drugs and alcohol, but keeping your mind in a position where you can live sensibly. Let me get my next, next page. So um, if you, if you break it down to the Greek word, if you break it down to Nephilim, which is a translation to it, it, it literally means sober or temperate, staining from wine either entirely or at least from its moderate use or of things free of all wine of vessels of offerings. So you're not wrong and I'm, I'm not, not wrong. Right. <laughs> Neither right. one of us is all the way right there. Right. Understood. Hmm. But that is, um, that, that's one thing anybody that follows my Twitter has uh, seen that I've recently declared myself no longer Baptist. As one thing the Baptist church believes in, that you don't drink alcohol. And there's many right. places throughout the Bible where they take that from. And this is, this is a good, a good point. You know, I, I know I can drink a couple glasses of wine and I can think straightly. You may not be able to, I, I don't know how much you can drink. Right. Um, so it comes down to, if you don't know your limit then you probably shouldn't do it at all. Not, not. A, I mean, if you're going to teach the gospel of God, you shouldn't have any alcohol in your system at all. Period. Even if it's a glass of wine. Well, you're right, and I do go to a. My church says Baptist on the sign, but I personally do not claim to be a Baptist. I, I'm a Christian, you know. I have that relationship with God, and so I'm not yet 20 years old, and so I, uh, I'm not yet 21. I mean, I'm only 20. So if I have had any drinks, it's allegedly. Um, allegedly, yeah, you shouldn't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I am still a college student and it's it's everywhere here. But the thing is, I personally choose not to drink, not because I'm better than anybody and not because of this, that, or the other thing, 
but because I have that very addictive personality, you know, where if I'm going to have one cigarette, I'm going to have the whole pack. Or if I want to have one beer, I'm going to have a 12 pack, you know, right. where I can't just have the one. And so I choose not to do those things because I won't know where to stop. Just realized I'm 16 years older and you, that makes me feel old. <laughs> well, I'll be 21 in November. So that, then you'll only be 15 years old. There you go. <laughs> so when it talks about uh, sober, reverent, and temperate, you know, what, it, what it's going off of is older men are supposed to be more mature and more wise. Just being older should give that wisdom to them and they should act with that maturity. In today's today's day and age, you don't see that a lot going on. But th- this is a call back to to how we're supposed to act as men. You know, for you at twenty, you can get away with a lot more stuff than I can at thirty six. Thirty six, I'm supposed to know better. <laughs> supposed so, to, <laughs> you know, supposed to. But you know, uh, when when it talks about, uh, let me find the verse. Let the aged man be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience. It's kind of a command to teach this as well. If the man's not this way, then you're supposed to guide him in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, the saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You know, as we get older, we harden in our ways. We, we're, we're stuck like we are. So, you know, what I've done for the last 15 years of my life, it's harder for me to give up than something I'm something new that I just recently learned. And there are, there are good ways to be hardened. You can be hardened in your faith. You can be hardened in your love. You can be hardened in your patience. So there's, there's the up and the down to that. So patience is, uh, so you, 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 so you zoomed in on sober right there. I'm going to zoom in on patience. Cause patience is the Greek word, hypopamon. Um, it means steadfast and active endurance, not in passive waiting. So patience and what the Bible is describing is not the same thing as what we declare patience today to be. Steadfast and active endurance. So when you're being patient and biblical standards, you're not just sitting there twiddling your thumbs, waiting on something to happen. Patience in biblical terms is more like you'll learn one day when you become a father and your five-year-old is running around and screaming and the house is loud and she's doing nothing wrong. But you have to be steadfast with active endurance to not lose your mind when she's running around the house. So it works the same way when you're teaching an older man. you got to remember he's hardened in his ways. He's set in his ways. And when you're trying to teach him, He's going to kick back. He's going to get aggravated. He's going to not agree with certain things. And you just have to be patient and you have to endure that while you're trying to get the message through to him. One of the things that really stuck out to me is, well, obviously I'm a, I'm a young man still. I'll be 21 in a month. And so I've been saved for four years. So I got saved when I was 16. But I still classify myself as a young Christian. And so the the older man, the aged man, yeah, you know, I'm not really there yet. And then the woman, I'm not a woman. I'm a man. Are, are you calling me aged? No, I, no, 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 no. Let's not be doing that. <laughs> but, like, it, me being a young person, the young 
when it talks to the young people, that is what um, I felt the most. That is where I felt the most um, speaking to me. And I thought it was interesting how you said that you can't teach an old dog new tricks because it, it focuses on teaching that the young people that foundation, you know, so right. give them the foundation that they need when they're young so that they can grow up to be the aged man that they're talking, that can teach other people. And that foundation is, and I'm kind of jumping ahead here, but it, it's doctrine, gravity, sincerity, uh, uncondemnable speech and loyal loyalty and obedience. So if they have all of those five things, then that is the foundation for a good life and to grow up to be that old, that aged man, not old, aged. <laughs> oh, I, you know, I envy you. I envy you. I, I envy people your age that find Christ at 14, 15, 16 years old. I found, I found God at 30. Mm-hmm. So you have the ability to grow and learn. And when you when you get to my age, you're going to be so much further ahead than I am now. I think in just the five years that I've been a safe Christian, the only reason I can talk the way I talk is I've I've completely dived straight into the Bible and I've stayed there for five years. I've taken college courses. I've gotten my degree in theology, and a lot of Christians don't do that. Mm-hmm. So as a young man like you, if you dive in your Bible and stay there, your, your wisdom will be massive at 35, 36 years old, at 40 years old. You know, I just recently started a preaching ministry. I, I just recently answered the call to preach and going through a class at church for preaching. Hmm. Wow. But the person teaching me is 28 years old. He's a phenomenal preacher. So I have a younger man teaching me what I should have known at 28 years old, like him. So there is a, uh, when we're a little bit ahead, like you said, you know, it talks about the younger man little on into the chapter. But uh, I, I envy you guys. I, I wish at 20 years old I was a, I was a pot-smoking atheist. <laughs> See, I am not called to preach. I ha- well, I have not been called to preach yet, and I pray that <laughs> that doesn't come because that's a pretty hard job. That's that job's more important than the president of the United States being a preacher. And so that's so funny. You just you said that uh, we had a visiting pastor this past Sunday uh, speak Sunday morning and Sunday evening, and he did, he told us he said the pastor is a more important position than the president of the United States. I mean, I mean, exact words. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's, that's crazy. You said that. <laughs> well, they've been saying that it's a Baptist thing, right? They've been saying that in church forever. <laughs> but, um, I, yeah, I, I pray to God that <laughs> that call doesn't come, but I also pray that if it does and whatever he calls me to do, that I have the strength to do it. You know, are you kidding me? I'm look when I was younger, I had no friends, not because I was weird. It's just I was too shy to talk to anybody. Right. And uh, I, I was called to preach last year. And uh, oh man, I've been fighting it. I've been fighting it so bad. I was like, I can't. I, I, I preached a ten-minute sermon on New Year's Eve at my church. We had uh, what we call popcorn preaching, and all the men in the church get to get up and preach a little sermon. And I was, I was. 
my shirt and suit and tie was soaked in sweat by the time I was done doing that. I mean, I was so nervous. And then I just kind of like abandoned it. I was like, Lord, this, I don't know what you've called me to do, but this is, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. And, and that's moved on. And then, uh, chance Lucifer invited me on this podcast and, uh, same thing, man. I was sweating bullets, sweating bullets when he invited me on there. But by the end of it, I had a little, a little click. I was like, I can do this. I can, I can, I can talk this way. Mm-hmm. And, um, believe it or not, this has actually helped me speak in front of people. Now I've, I've preached several sermons down in front of an actual congregation. And, uh, I don't know if you caught my rant that I posted Monday, I think yesterday. No, I haven't yet, but I plan on it. Yeah, I went in. I, I I went into almost a little sermon right there. I was so I was so angry yesterday. I was angry for God yesterday. <laughs> and, but uh, so back up the rabbit hole. What were we talking about? <laughs> we were talking about uh, teaching in general. So we had kind of gone over the age man and how he's supposed to live. And then I kind of jumped ahead. I kind of threw us off <laughs> when I said that young people need the, their foundation. And you were talking about how you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, I said that you need that foundation when you're young so that you don't have to be that old dog learning new tricks. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. There we go. Uh, we, uh, yeah, so so let's backtrack. Let's let's talk about the ladies now. Okay. We covered the old men there, and uh, we'll get back to the uh, young men because I, I have a lot to say about young people in college. <laughs> That doesn't sound good, but okay. No, no, it's it's great. I'm telling you, I'm envious of y'all. I wish I'd have found it when I was 15, 16 <laughs> years old. So I'm gonna go down another rabbit hole. All right. Um, when I was 15, 15 or sixteen, there's a girl across the street, Kristen McGuire. I'll never forget her. I had the biggest crush on this chick, and um, her parents. They were they were almost like. Pentecostal in the long blue jean dresses and wore long sleeves during the summer and hair was up and we uh and they invited me to church. There's a place called Temple Church, a little storefront place in High Point, North Carolina. And I started going there. And the longer I went there, the more I realized there's there's not something there's something not right about this. And it come to a head one night when the pastor jumped up on the front pew and started screaming that he was God. He was God. He was God. And he's yelling and screaming and jumping back and forth. And then I found out the church was moving to a compound that they had outside of Atlanta, Georgia, with other like churches had developed this compound. So I was like, holy cow, I was like, Christianity's a cult. <laughs> so my one experience with Christianity as a youth was bad. And and as far as I know, they all still live on that compound in Georgia. And that was 22 years ago. And so, uh, yeah, I turned away from Christianity for the longest time. So back, back to older women. Well, but that's why, like you said, you thought your one experience was with Christianity was a cult. That's why we need good teaching. And that's why we need people that follow Ch- Titus chapter 2 is because – these young people, people my age, if their only experience with Christianity is bad, then yeah. they're going to be turned away for the rest of their lives. It's going to ruin the testimony of others. But if their only experience with Christianity is positive, then maybe that later on in life or when when they're ready, 
they'd be more willing to accept that and to to realize, okay, maybe this is where I need to be. Oh, if it wasn't for me and my wife, I would not be in. I would not be where I'm at now. Right. She's right. the one that basically drugged me to church, <laughs> and I fought it. I fought it for a good year, year and a half before I gave in to it. But uh, she was raised good old fashioned deep south backwoods Baptist by her grandma. So, you know, she pulled me in there and she was like, you're coming to church and this is how a man's supposed to act and this is how a wife's supposed to act and this is how we're doing it. I did. I fought it for a year, year and a half. Go to church here and there. Missed most of the time. And it was, uh, so yeah, that, that, that experience I had when I was 15, 16 years old, it completely turned me off. I was like, this is this is nuts. This is craziness. I have, I want no part of this. All right, so you're about to talk about women. All right, so women, the we're talking about the aged woman. Starting in verse three, the aged woman likewise that they be in behavior as becoming holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. So we already see the comparison between the old man and the old woman with um their soberness and their behavior. Verse four says that they may teach young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So I'm going to zero in on obedient because that's the one that causes so many arguments. <laughs> women do not like being told to be obedient. <laughs> <laughs> Especially young women, right? Especially Bash. my age. Oh my god, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> no, there's some, there's some, there's some good girls out there. There's a, I know a, a twenty, twenty or twenty-one. She, she very much wants to meet the old Baptist husband. That's her, that's her dream right there. So there's a few out there. Uh, I need to introduce y'all. No. <laughs> Send it to Cleveland. We'll get, we'll meet up. <laughs> believe it or not she's from southern california oh wow but uh let's see what, what was i getting out there um lost my place in my notes i really should be orga more organized for this <laughs> so we covered not giving them much wine right and see much wine so it's okay. A little bit's okay. And that's part of the reason I'm not Baptist anymore. Right. So. Well, and the Bible never says don't drink out al al any alcohol. It just says don't be drunk. Don't get drunk. Well, so look, like, Jesus' first miracle is turning water to wine. I mean, right, right. And if you want, if, you, if drinking is a sin, I mean, that's kind of right. Surely Jesus didn't partake in helping people sin. Right. Now, I know drunkenness is a sin, but if you look at the Bible, anything. In that excess. Anything in excess is a sin. Everything right. should be done in moderation. Right. Um, so, uh, so y'all have it. I'm, I'm a, I'm a Baptist that drinks. I smoke a pipe too. That's way outside of, and I danced <laughs> with my daughter in the kitchen the other night. So, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I was striking out. <laughs> so, uh, what, what we got here? Um, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good and obedient to their own husbands. Obedience is what I want to talk about. So women don't like that rule, but the Bible tells us explicitly that man is the head of the house. And that's a whole nother book of the Bible and a whole nother chapter. But without 
going to the verses, I'm going to touch on that a little bit. This is why it's important to actually read your Bible. Is you can't just stop right here in chat and Titus two. Uh, I'm supposed to be be my husband. You know, there's there's stipulations for our husband supposed to be to his wife as well. You know, uh, the main one that I like to bring up is so you know. <laughs> It says a husband should love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So I mean, we're kind of we're kind of instructed if you got to die for your wife, then you you, know, you you should be there at that level. Right. So I just want to knock that obedience thing out of the out of the way right there. Yeah, yeah, a woman should be obedient to her husband, but there's a large responsibility on the husband to his wife as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, neither one of us are women, so. And like, I'm not really in the business of telling people what to do or how to be without telling everybody how to, what to do and how to be, you know? So yeah, women need to be submissive and women need to be obedient to their husbands, but it's our job as men to be worth submitting to and to be worth being obedient to. And there's the key before we, until we are willing to provide and willing to protect and willing to love our family that way. And until we are willing to to lay down our lives for our family, there's no female that is going to be submissive to us, and there, oh, nor should she be. Oh, absolutely. We are not fulfilling our biblical duties, so why should she fulfill hers? I already told my wife if I'm not if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, right? Give me give me one warning, and if I don't fix it, yep, I can't get mad at her. Yep, right. So. So, you know, for older women, it's taught to be teachers of good things. And what the Bible doesn't really express here, and what really what it's kind of talking to is for younger women. So older women should be an example of these things for younger women. So it goes back to my wife was adopted and raised by her grandma. So all these biblical lessons she learned from her grandmother, and she's carried it into her adult life. And she was married before me and had a divorce, but... In her defense, he, he joined the Church of Satan. And uh, the Bible tells us to be not unequally yoked. Right. Um, see, older women, like, like, like older men, they carry a wisdom with them into the later years of life. And this wisdom is what they have to pull from, just like the older man needs to pull from. You know, there's... there's back to the whole there's a level of maturity there's a way that an older woman's expected to act one thing i can't stand is to see a 55 year old woman dressed like a 20 year old girl out at the club or in the bars trying to pick up 20 something young young men yeah and and, and it happens a lot nowadays as this country moves further away from a christian teaching and christian morals so your thoughts on older women well, I, I agree with you. I think that it's their job, just as it's the older man's job to teach the younger man, it's the older women's job to teach the younger women. But I I think it's interesting that it doesn't tell older men to teach younger women, you know, Correct. because, and while I believe that, yeah, fathers should be leading, setting an example for their daughters, I I think that no one can teach a, da- a young woman how to be a, a, a woman. How, how, no one can teach a young girl how to be an older woman like an older woman <laughs> you know right. like I can't teach a, a girl how to be a woman because I'm not a woman right and similarly a, a woman my mom cannot teach me how to be a good man because she's not a man 
And it's not because she's not a great mom. She's the best mom in the whole world, in, in my opinion. But she's not a man. She cannot teach me how to be a man like the way my dad can. And right. I was, I'm so thankful that I grew up in a two-parent house where my both my, my mom and my dad were around. But even like there, somebody's probably going to come in and say, well, what about single moms? And my single mom did a great job. Well, yeah, I'm not saying that she can't do a great job, but there has to be male mentorship there. Absolutely. Well, I, I, you know, my dad left when I was 12. Mm-hmm. So I was, I had a stepdad, but he was drunk in, in jail most of the time. So it was me and my mom. My mom raised me as a single mom. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I sucked as a man. My twenties, I had no idea what manhood was. And my mom, like yours, I think she's the best mom that ever existed. My mom was my best friend. You know, she died when I was nineteen. So I was not only raised by a single mom through my teenage years, but I lost her young. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, a mother is great for teaching love and gentleness and caring and kindness and the, the attributes that are feminine and, and every person boy or girl needs to learn those attributes from their mother and they need to learn attributes from their father. It's a mix of the two that makes a person complete and whole. And this just goes back into the dynamics of my opinion. One of the biggest problems of our country today is the lack of family. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you, you are, you're incredibly lucky you grow up in a two family home because mm-hmm. that's becoming more and more rare as it goes. I mean, my wife and I, we have a, we have a commitment worked out that even if we don't get along anymore, we're staying together for the sake of our children. They need that father and mother interaction. So did you have, did you have a, a male after your, your real father, left when you were 12 did he did he leave or did he die he he just left okay so after that besides your stepdad did you have a positive male influence or was it nothing i i had an uncle uh-huh. but he was a uh over the road truck driver oh. so he was he was home he was home four days gone six weeks mm-hmm. so um the only time i really had a lot of interaction with him was during hunting season Oh, okay. He took, he took time off work to hunt, and uh, he, he's the one that taught me how to hunt and fish and, and all that. So I did have a – it was my mom's brother. So I did have a little bit of a male influence, but the vast majority of my time, I, I had nothing but alcohol and abuse. Hmm. You know, I tell everybody, you know, my, my stepdad is an abusive alcoholic, and I tell everybody my mom died when I was 19. I promise the two are related. <laughs> you know, he's serving 22 years now for second-degree murder. Wow. But, uh, yeah, I had, I, had a, I had a jacked up adult, young adulthood. I spent yeah. my 20s partying and drinking and drugging and chasing women. And... So, once again, to tie it back in, wouldn't it have been great to have one of these aged men that it talks about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, it's uh, I forget who posted it. Um, it might have been Steel Jams. That uh, posted something about uh, grandfathers. You know, both of my grandfathers was dead by the time I was eleven or twelve years old. 
So I, I, I literally had nothing. Hmm. But uh, for anybody that's wondering, I have reconnected with my dad, and we have a great relationship now that I'm an adult. But uh, back to you, I'm, I'm not trying to throw a pity party for myself. I'm trying to use myself as an example of why right, right, that father figure, you know, if you're a single mom and you're listening to this, you know, get into a church. There's an older male somewhere in that church, an usher, a deacon, a pastor, assistant pastor, youth pastor, that will take your kid under the wing and show them that that masculine uh, energy that they need to experience. So there, there's always there's always a way around it. Single moms, y'all do a great job. And motherhood is, my wife's been so busy the last three weeks, and I've been Mr. Mom with three kids, and oh my gosh. Uh, women are amazing so but if you're a single mom you you don't have to have a boyfriend or get married and throw a man in life there there are men and find a good church a good bible preaching church and you will find a man in there an older man that will take your child under the wing and teach give them that energy those lessons that they need to grow and learn and to be a healthy young man Mm -hmm. likewise single fathers your daughters need an older woman. Yep. You know, they, uh, once again, go to church, preacher's wife, sister, preacher's wife, youth pastor's wife. There's an older woman there that can give that feminine energy that a young girl needs to grow up to be a healthy young woman. Absolutely. So now you want to get into the young people? <laughs> young people. So, um, jealousy. <laughs> Young men, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient. Oops, skip the page. To be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. All right, so we touched on young men and servants on that yep. in that reading. Um, obviously, we don't have slaves and servants much anymore, but uh, there there is still a lesson in it for us in today's time. But... Um, let me, let me back up here. Young men, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded. There we are with the soberness again. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is imperative when studying, teaching, or in this case, learning the Word of God, that you, your whole mind be a part of it, your whole heart be a part of it. There should be no distractions. And like you said, sober doesn't always necessarily mean alcohol or drugs. Sober can mean other things. You know, if you got chasing a girl on your mind, you're not going to pay attention to the lessons you're being learned with God because that pretty blonde that sits across the congregation from his culture eye. You know, are you really listening to the preacher at that point? Or are you trying to catch glances? So there's a there's a bit of discipline when it comes to being sober, especially for the young man, because, heck, all of us was young at one point in time. You're still young. There's so many distractions out there they're, they're in the world now especially Absolutely. western society is designed to distract you and grab your attention over here and grab your attention over here and i think uh what i read the other day was we have the attention span of like five seconds now 
you know, in my other podcasts, I don't know if you've noticed, I'm, I'm trying to keep my podcast under 25 minutes. Study shows that's about all you got before people start kind of zoning out from your talking. I mean, it's just amazing how busy we are today. And like I said, it's so much worse for young people. Y'all are being pulled everywhere. You're being, you're being pulled for marketing. You're being pulled for culture. You're being pulled for relationships. I mean, it's great. It's, at, at any given moment, I will have my cell phone, my laptop, and the TV going. <laughs> and then my timer will go off and I'll have to go do laundry. I'll have to pause everything that I got and go do laundry and then come back and start everything up again. <laughs> like it, it, we live in an entertainment world. The world is designed around not being bored. Yeah. I mean, I was your age in 2003. Smartphone didn't come out in 2008. Right. So when I was your age, I didn't have all that. I basically had TV and radio and going out with my friends, which was my priority at the time. So being the age that I am, I've gotten to see a transition in the way young people have to come up. You know, I hear old people talk about, you know, when I was 20 in, in the sixties, you know, this and that or in the seventies, but it was like, yeah, I, I turned 20 right at the turn of the millennium. You know, I, I turned 20, I was a young adult, right. When everything was becoming fast paced and everything was changing as soon as you turned around. And, you know, I still remember having the, uh, Motorola razor flip phone. And that, that was cool. You know, everybody wanted that phone now. I miss dumb phones. <laughs> a smartphone's so distracting, it's, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But uh, I can see at 36 what y'all were going through that I didn't have to go through. And it, it's crazy. I don't know how you do it. And you're sitting there talking about you got your phone on, your, your computer on, your laptop, <laughs> and you get the TV on. I wouldn't be able to do that. My, my computer's in my bedroom. And when I come podcast or do schoolwork or type up a blog article, I come in here and I shut my door and I shut everything out. Sometimes I'll play a little classical music on YouTube in the background, but I can't, I can't do all the distractions. My phone gets plugged up and put on the nightstand over there and I just walk away from it. And and I I don't, I don't know how you do it. I don't, I really don't. So like I said before, we got this foundation, right? We're trying to build full of an, these are all things from the passages that I just read. Doctrine, gravity, sincerity, uncondemnable speech, and loyal and obedient. And I think that for young men, if they can pull nothing out of their time being like the first five years being a Christian, other than those five things, that it's successful. Because then after that, once they got that foundation, they can move on and start teaching the word. But I think the the important one and the one that really sets us apart from the rest of the world is this uncondemnable speech, right? Yes. So how many times do you hear, and I'm guilty of it too. I say a lot of stuff that I'm not supposed to say, but how many times, how often do you hear a Christian going around F this, F that, swearing like crazy? And do you think they're like, when you first meet them, would you guess that they're Christians if they didn't tell you? No, absolutely not. I, I was working with a guy that said he, that's how he talked. He talked like that. And 
then one time we got to talking about God and he says, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church every Sunday. And I was like blown, like taken aback for a second because there, there was no way I would have thought, oh yeah, he's a Christian. He's different from the rest of the world. Just from how he talked, he, he could have had all these other things right. But the way that he talked did not project Christianity. It ruined his testimony for me. Right. And if I was an unsaved man, or if I was an unsaved, unsaved, there was no, there's no way I would be listening to him tell me the word of God. So speech is what I, what I zeroed in on that also, because it was so very important. And you're talking about testimony and bad language is something I struggled with. I mean, prior military, prior fire department, Mm -hmm. you know, worked as a tattoo artist for several years. That's an evil environment if you ever want to get into one. <laughs> and uh, so for the longest time I struggled with it. It's really been in the last, really the last six months to a year that I've calmed down a lot. And mm-hmm. uh, a couple of Bible verses I want to share related to that is, you know, Matthew fifteen eleven. you know, Christ is talking about the, you know, your body is a temple, is a temple for the Holy Spirit. And Christ is talking about what defiles the temple. And Christ said, is not what goeth into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. So your words is what gets you in trouble. Your words is what makes your temple unclean. You know, it's not smoking a cigarette. It's not eating fatty foods that defiles your temple. It's not, you know, when I, when I, when I first started trying to find a church and I'm covered in tattoos and I got 18 tattoos and all oh, you've defiled your temple and I used to tell people, no, I just decorated it. <laughs> but uh <clears throat> excuse me but what when i read that verse what comes out of the mouth that defiles a man that it, it, it struck hard i was like you know you're talking about cursing you're talking about perversion you're talking about using the lord's name in vain and what it boils down to is what you just said it ruins your testimony because a christian is his te- is his testimony you know, we, we convert more people, we save, or we, we help lead the salvation more people just by the way we live our lives than right. anything else. So I've come to a realization of something. You know, I, I went to church for a couple of years before I actually got saved. I thought I was saved. I wasn't saved. I'd go in front of a church that I'd been, quote, unquote, saved in front of and baptized in front of them. Like, yeah, it, it didn't take the first time. And, you know, it was embarrassing, but I come to the realization that none of my actions changed. The Bible says when you become saved, you become a new creature. So not not to try to preach here for a minute, but if you're struggling, if you're a saved Christian, quote unquote saved Christian, and you're still doing all the things you struggled with before that were sinful and ruined your testimony, you may want to revisit your salvation. Right. So the other verse I wanted to share was Matthew twelve thirty six. It says, but I say unto you that every idle word that man shall speak, they shall give an account thereof on the day of judgment. So not only are you defiling your temple with your words, but come judgment day, every single word you utter, you're going to have to give an account on why you uttered that word. So when you drop the F-bomb, God wants to know why you used that word right then, right there, in that sentence, and in that situation. Mm-hmm. So if you got a loose tongue and you let stuff fly, you got a lot to account for. Mm-hmm. Well, I, the thing is, and like, I sort of agree with that, but at the same time, I believe that 
God has a a short memory for those that repent. And so if if we realize that we've done wrong, I think I'm kind of getting into the semantics of it right here. But in a nutshell, if we realize that we've sinned and done wrong and we repent for that and we ask for forgiveness, I think that he probably, Jesus would probably step in right there and say, hey, wait, I got this one. Yeah, but you know what's what the mean? definition of repentance? Um, turning, oh, turning away from it. So, yeah, like if I, if I were to say the wrong thing right now, like if I, if I were to be swearing right now, and then I realized I did wrong and turned my back on that and said, Jesus, please forgive me. I've done right. wrong. And then not going back to that and trying like real hard not to, not to say that anymore and not like, you know, then, then Jesus would probably step in and say, Hey, wait, I got this one. But if I were to be saying, Oh, F this, F that. And then not realizing like, Oh, God's okay with it. I'm saved. You know, I got it all yeah. under control then I'm going to have to answer for it. You're absolutely right. Right. That That's that's the point where I tell people, you know, uh, everybody's like, oh, I'm good. Christian stumbles. We're human. Yeah, that's all true. Mm-hmm. And we do stumble. But when you, when you become a new creature, you don't just willingly commit the same sin over and over and over and over and over again and not feel bad for it. Right. You, you don't come to repentance for it. So when I say you might want to check your salvation, what I'm saying is you're getting out drunk, getting drunk every night and having sex with every girl you can see or you're cussing constantly. You know, it's one when I, I still get mad and I'll let something fly. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, soon, me too. As soon, soon as I do, I immediately catch it and I feel bad for it and I have to get free. Mm-hmm. And, but you know, I got a guy at work as far as I've been down, he's saved, but lit- almost literally every other word's F word. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm like, how are you not? How are, how are you okay with this? How, how can you not fix this? You know, repentance is, you know, the action of repenting is sincere regret and remorse and you turn away from. So as soon as it happens and if you're saved, I think the Holy Spirit, you're, you're Baptist, so you're taught the same thing I'm taught. The Holy Spirit convicts you. That's where your remorse comes from. Absolutely. Uh, crap, I just sinned against God. And then you repent. I'm, I'm not going to turn, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. And then a little ways down the road, you slip up again. And you're like, I keep repeating this and I don't know how to, you know, a brother of mine in the church, he has a porn addiction and uh, I'm trying to help coach him through that and I'm not going to name names, even though I doubt he will ever listen to this, but uh, he, uh, he said like once, once a week, once every other week he slips and I'm like, yeah, but you used to watch porn daily, right? And sometimes more than once a day. And porn is proven to be as addictive as any other drug out there. You know, it releases, uh, I think it's serotonin that releases in your brain, that your brain mm-hmm. gets addicted to the reaction to it. Dopamine. Dopamine. That's what mm-hmm. it is. Serotonin makes you get asleep, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, it releases dopamine. You get that dopamine high just like you would from heroin or anything else. And it, it's hard. It's an addiction you got to break. And I told, I tried to explain to him then. I said, yeah. I said, I said and here's the thing. You're feeling bad about it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He's come to me. He's come to me in tears. He's like, man, I'm, I'm, I messed up. I watched porn last night, and I mean, the guy's crying, and I'm like, just you know, repent. You gotta talk to God about it. Mm-hmm. He knows you feel bad about it. He knows you're remorseful about it. He's, mm-hmm. he's kind of the one making you feel that way. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, and the so fact that, that he's in tears makes me makes me happy. Makes me feel like he's making progress. You know, 
to where he does feel remorse because if he was just coming about, oh, I watched porn today or something like that, you know, he's he's happy about it. He's proud of that, but he's not. He's in tears about it. So that's right. good. Right. And and there's your difference. And in, in, when I say check your salvation, I've, I've literally told people that before you need to check your salvation. And then, mm-hmm. there's, a, and then there's other people I wouldn't dream of saying it to. Because, you know, the Bible says we can judge a fruit a tree by the fruit that it bears. And, and what it's talking about is us as Christians, we can judge whether someone else is Christian or not just by the actions that they do. Right. And when I see somebody slip and stumble and they're remorseful and they repent, well, I mean, they're, they're a saved person. We're human. We mess up. You know, we're Baptists. We believe once saved, always saved. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for our past sins, present sins, and the ones we don't even know we're going to commit yet. Right. So we, uh, there's just a difference. And, and I try to caution people and sometimes I'll come out bluntly with it, but if you're sinning a lot and you're okay with it, then things probably need to be checked. Right. Right. So some of the moving on from the young people, General rules for life is we got live soberly, be righteous, be righteous, like try to live righteously and have hope. So after it talks about young people, it goes into verse 11 through 15 through the end. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and for the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's, that's 11 through 13. And so it gives us, it kind of admonishes us in the first two thirds of the chapter where it tells us, Oh, how we should be living, how we should be teaching other people. But then it kind of ends on a happy note because Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming to take us out of this sinful world and take us out of our sinful bodies. And we need to be looking for that. We need to be ready for it, you know? Yeah. You know, when it says in verse 12 that teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present world, you know, it's telling us right there that no matter what's going on around us, we need to have our focus and our attention on God. We need, we're, like I said a minute ago, we're humans and we mess up a lot. Right, right. absolutely. But we should be doing our best to live as godly and righteously as possible because, you know, the, the whole purpose of living the Christian faith is to attempt to be Christ-like. That is our goal, to be more Mm Christ-like. And what you said, you know, looking for the blessing, hope, and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, there's our, you know, one after that, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us of our iniquity and purify unto himself particular people zealous of good works. That's verse 14. There's our hope, like you just said. We have that, that even though we got to endure everything we got to endure, there's a silver lining to all of this. And if you just live righteously and you teach and you preach and you help expand the kingdom of God, there's a reward at the end of this tunnel, regardless of how bad it gets here and now. Yeah, absolutely. So to finish this off, verse 15 these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. So I'm kind of interesting in your take on that verse.
So one of the verses that I have written down, so this is my desk, right? And I have like a bulletin board behind me where I can stick things in it. And one of the verses that I have on there is John 15, 18. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Right. So where it says, let no man despise thee, I kind of think of that, that people aren't going to like us for being Christians. People aren't going to agree with us and they aren't going to be particularly happy with us for trying to tell them that what the way that they are living is not the biblical way of living and that if they would turn to, to God, they could be happier. And so they're not going to like us for that. But the thing is, some people may not like us, but they'll listen to us and then they'll, they'll let, let the words that we speak into their mind and into their heart and they'll maybe get saved. So these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. When we teach people, and if we're teaching people based on the outline that Titus chapter 2 gives, then they may not like us for it, but we may change it. We may, through God, be able to change their lives for it. And so us witnessing to other people with a good testimony and with God in our hearts will change lives. Amen. You know, my, my take on that is, you know, speak these things, uh, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. We have to remember that, that we're teaching the words of Christ. We're teaching Jesus the kingdom. We are messengers of the King himself. And that the words that we have to teach brings life and it fights back the gates of hell. You know, we, we, we bring words that allow people to find their salvation and, and to find their God like you're supposed to be. And I think that is a, uh, that's just kind of a reminder to us, the importance of teaching and preaching the word of God. And it's kind of a reminder of the importance that the important role that we play in God's kingdom and doing what we're doing. Um, it's kind of why I wanted to do Titus chapter two was really for verse 15 this week. Um, (laughs) It's an encouragement verse. Verse 15 is an encouragement verse. You are a messenger of the king. You have authority. We we are given authority as saved Christians to teach and to preach and to, to speak with authority. We can exhort and rebuke. We have that power. Or we're given that. We can tell someone when they're wrong and when they need to fix it. We need to do it with love and not be very blunt. I struggle with that sometimes. I can be a very blunt person, but, you know, they're, they're, we can't forget who we are now when it says like no man despise thee. I think what we're talking about is our testimony. You know, you, you've, you've said testimony and testimony is the key word in chapter two, all, all the way around. You know, if we speak and teach and preach, but we don't back it up in our lives, nobody's going to take you serious. They're going to just, they're going to despise you and your words that you're teaching. Well, he, he's telling me I need to practice being sober, but he's drunk every night. You know, that's mm-hmm. despising. So I think that last sentence there is a reminder that we need to be conscious of our testimony. We need to be conscious of our words and of our actions and make sure that we can't say or do anything that will make somebody despise the words we're saying to them. Because mm-hmm. ultimately, why is the testimony so important? If I have a bad testimony and I try to preach to you, you're not going to listen. 
and it may even turn you away. Right. And if I if I say words that turn you away and I'm not speaking with truthfulness and I'm not speaking with a good testimony, not only are you going to go to hell, but I have to answer for that on the day of judgment myself. So it's it's an important thing. Right. See, did you look up the Greek for that word, despise? Uh, I can. Oh, no. I mean, you don't have to, but me and you read the despise completely different. Like, I read despise as being a synonym with hate, where you read it as a testimony. I just thought that's interesting. That two people can read the same verse and interpret it two completely different ways. I don't know if I'm I don't know if I read despise as testimony so much as despising a person for having a bad testimony. Oh, okay. Despising the words that a person gives. Mm-hmm. Um paraphernalia. Is that how you pronounce that? Paraphernalia? Let's see. Do you do you have a uh Strong's concordance. What'd you say? Do you have a Strong's concordance? I do not. I have a concordance in the back of my Bible, but that's all I got. <laughs> Joseph is talking to his kids right now. <laughs> they just got home. Um, <laughs> let's see the. Joy. <laughs> <laughs> Joseph's daughter just came into his bedroom for those. Oh. <laughs> Since you don't have a strong concordance, I'm gonna give you a uh, website when we get done recording. I'll talk to you about it. Um, okay. So, um, the King James Version translation count uh, that that actual Greek word is used one time, and you're correct. Um, hatred is one of the definitions of it. Um, when you get down to the outline of biblical usage, it says to consider and examine on all sides carefully, thoroughly to set oneself in thought beyond a person or a thing to contend, to contemn or to despise. I'm glad she's entertaining you back there. She's okay. I'm just watching it. Um, so yeah, I, I did. I may have worded it wrong what I said, but uh, I didn't mean it as despise as in the testimony. I mean, it, um, your right. testimony would cause them to despise you and the words that you're you're telling mm-hmm. them. Yeah, that is that is my thoughts and my notes. I, I'm at the end of my page. I think that's a good place to end it. So, right. uh, why don't you tell the people where they can find you? All right, I am JD Manley18 at twitter.com. And uh, got a new website coming soon. Hopefully, I'll be able to tell you all about that on the next podcast. Mm, very good. And also, find my uh, blogs on barbarianrhetoric.com, which, if I understand correctly, you, sir, are going to be contributing as well. Yes, is that, that going to be an ongoing thing or is this a one-time contribution? No, as of right now, it's a, it's a one-time guest contribution I'll have coming on this Friday which will be the same day that I post this podcast. So when you're listening to this, check out my my blog post on Barbarian Rhetoric. We're talking about, I'm going to be talking about um, faith, 
and wrestling. So wrestling as a sport and how it helped me with my faith. Um, so that that's going to be good. As of right now, the most of my writing is going to be found on KyleMoonlight.com, which has exactly about roughly three readers, <laughs> which is why I made the guest post on Barbarian Rhetoric, is because hopefully I'll be able to get more attention there. I, I got to be honest. I didn't realize you had a blog old. Yeah, I feel I feel bad for that man. That's that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna have to help you out with that. that <laughs> yeah, KyleMoonlight.com, and then it's Kyle underscore Moonlight on Twitter, and yeah, that's that's it. Be, stay tuned for my my post on Barbarian Rhetoric. I'm really excited to get that out to people. I'm looking forward to seeing it. You know, I don't even remember what my post is about this week. <laughs> Next week I do. Next week I'm excited. Next week I touch on the. Uh, postmodern worldview yeah and uh, I, I wrote what could easily be two blog articles on that but i think uh nathan's gonna keep it as one long one hmm. well if it's all right i'll say a quick closing prayer and we'll close it out okay yes sir all right heavenly father thank you for the opportunity to sit and talk talk about you with my friend joseph over here um god i want you to Please bless all the people listening to this. Bless Joseph's family, God, and be there for my family as well. Um, God, I pray that as we go about our week, you help us to live for you and help us to keep our testimonies the way that it would be pleasing to you, as we talked about today. And all these things I ask in your name. Amen. Amen, brother. All right. See you guys next week.